Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at ChicagoReader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, T-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971 hey everybody how's it going we're live yeah your ben jarofsky show for tuesday march 2nd it's just moments away happy march ben yeah my god we are just marched through the calendar yeah well, and uh in the dentist calendar uh of life it is bike riding season i gotta get my bike tuned up it's official yeah yep. me too man well i need about 30 more degrees before i get out there but uh yeah can you believe it? it's been a year of um, a year since we were in the studio this pandemic is no joke young man i know i know a whole year and Holy we year. celebrated wow. two years uh, with our anniversary show special. Have you heard it yet? Well, go check it out. It features guests. Guests that Ben Jarofsky, he had no clue who they were. It was a great time. Our, an- our anniversary special. Don't say who the guests were for people who haven't heard it. Go check it out. I just randomly throw people on the show. Got a little funky there towards the end, but we figured it out. All right. An anniversary special. Happy two years to our show. All right. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, March 2nd. It's just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. The Chicago Federation of Labor. They are sponsors as well. And the Chicago Reader. You heard the commercial there in the beginning. The Chicago Reader is sponsored. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know. The city of Chicago. Go check Chicago Reader. Ben has a book. He's going to be talking more about that later on. Become a Ben head and so much more. Ben, you have a song of the day. ABC by the Jackson 5. I'm sorry. I didn't hear what's which which song. <laughs> I just didn't hear it. ABC by the Jackson oh, 5. Oh, what were you man. doing? You know, I just could not hear it. It's I don't know if the train went by, and I just could not. I heard the by the Jackson Five. By the way, my, I did it's like a Jackson Five thing going on because my my uh, newsletter was talked a little bit about the Jackson Five. Anyway, A B C, it's easy as one two three. Come on, D, as simple as do re mi. A B C, one, one two, two three, three, baby, you, you and me now. <laughs> Oh my god, da, 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 da. love the Jackson Five. I, you know, I got mixed feelings, obviously, about Michael Jackson. That's putting it mildly. Well, let's nip it at the bud there. The Ben Jarofsky show starts now. 
<laughs> yeah, good idea. It is Tuesday, March 2nd, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Oh my. Air bass. Now we got the drums. Today on the program, it's the return of political strategist Joanna Klonsky. And now your host, not a political strategist. He'd be fired on day one. <laughs> Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Chopping Wood Tuesday. And here's why. Timber! <laughs> Timber! <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I should have thought of that. Timber! <laughs> God, he thinks of all the good ones. Great weekend. Did you have a good weekend? Let me think. Yeah, th- it was good. It was good. How'd the, how'd the skiing go? Uh, okay, skiing go I, well? I skied one time, and, you know, <laughs> it's not like I ski every weekend. Folks, he skis every weekend. Oh, and then in the summer, he goes water skiing. Okay. <laughs> Pizza, French fries. Come on now. It's easy. Anyway, great weekend for me. I saw a bunch of movies. Train to Busan. If you haven't seen this one, one of the greatest zombie flicks of all time. I want to thank Romano Hussein for recommending it to me. Uh, I completely loved it. My wife and I have a love for zombie flicks. I discovered, D, not everybody shares that love. So first is when I've been eagerly recommending this movie to people. I go, I'll just, I'll start off by saying before I get into the movie, Oh, do you like zombie flicks? And then I would say nine out of 10 times. No, I'm like, no. And that ends it. Like, how can you recommend? I mean, they just categorically just, you know, shot down the entire genre of film. I I didn't take you for a zombie film guy. Oh, I love I love I love zombie flicks. I love horror flicks. I love scary movies. Even though I'm scared of scary movies, I have like if it's a good scary movie, fifty percent of the time I'll have my hands covering my eyes. <laughs> and then there's the guys who are like not scared at movies. Oh God, that wasn't scary at all. You know, <laughs> you know. No, I'm scared, and I like being scared in the movie, and you know, and. Quick. So anyway. What's the number one zombie movie, according to Ben Jarofsky? Train to Busan. I'm going with it. I just saw it. South Korean flick. Number one, Train uh, to Busan. Uh, and then I like that. What's it called? Zombieland with um, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. I kind of like that. I think, I think I've seen that two times. <laughs> I, like, like, I like that zombie flick that came out with Bill Murray. Nobody else in my family liked it, but I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, and Adam Dr- Anyway, I can go on and on about zombie, but Train to Busan is beyond zombie flick. It really gets into the inherent greed and selfishness of man. So it's like greater than a zombie flick. Also saw Minari, beautiful movie about a Korean family making their way in Arkansas in the 90s. I loved it. I was crying like a baby at it. Great, great movie. And then I saw The Dig. Uh, not that great. But it, you know, I just want to say this, okay? And I know people go, oh, Ben, you sound like Donald Trump. Okay, I'm going to say it, though. You know, I've been going on and on about how I'm kind of tired about uh, American directors who are casting Brits to play Americans in a movie. It just happened in um, Judas and the Black Messiah where they had a Brit play the role of Fred Hampton. I'm like, you couldn't find a Chicago actor 
to play Fred Hampton, the quintessential Chicagoan, one of the great historical figures of recent patty times in the city of Chicago. Couldn't find a guy in Chicago to do that. Okay. But I'm watching the Dig D. It's all, you know, Brits uh, set in 1930s England. Not one American. Okay. Hey, Brits, can't find an American guy? Just I could do a British accent. Hello, mate. There you go. Put me in the movie. Anyway, the thing is kind of dumb, but yeah, you know, that is the worst movie I've ever seen. Anyway, Ben, I just took a look at our stats. Uh, looks like our uh, numbers in Britain are down. You have any? Uh, <laughs> have any reason why that is? Uh, yeah. Uh, are you gonna blame me? Because I've been. I'm just saying they're it's, they're great actors, but come on now, find a guy in Chicago to play Fred Hampton. People accuse me of sounding like Donald Trump and. You sound like Donald Trump when you say that. Uh, anyway, so I got up real early today. That was the big news. Real early. Chopping wood early. Hence the name of the show. Well, what are you chopping wood? is because I always talk about how Dennis, uh, when it's nice out, gets up at five, chops some wood, like his days in Alton when he was a young man on the Mississippi River chopping wood. And then he goes for a bike ride. That's true, right? That's how you get, isn't that right? Yeah. Maybe not the chopping wood part, but the bike ride part. Anyway, that's what I did today. I got up early for me. I didn't chop wood. I didn't go for a bike ride, but I got up early. Why, you asked? He Good question. I had to drive to the reader office in the South Loop to sign books. Yes, yes, my book came out. Compilation of my quote-unquote greatest hits. And, uh, wow, I just got to take a moment to talk about it and think about it, to breathe and just sort of digest this fact that for over 40 years, I've been in this business in this town. Chicago is now my adopted hometown. And I was with Sandra Klein. Shout out to Sandra Klein, who was helping me uh, sign the books. And she goes, you're not from Chicago originally? I go, no, I'm not. She goes, oh, my God, you know, you've been doing this forever in Chicago. And, um no, I had that big decision to make back in 1980. I was driving across the country. I had a job in Connecticut, and I had a, I could have settled in any town. And I visited Denver and L.A. and San Francisco and Seattle and all these other towns. Milwaukee. Could have lived anywhere. I chose to live in Chicago. And I must have liked it because I found this box of letters uh, this weekend. I was going through the stuff at my parents' house. I found this box of letters, including a letter that was written to me by a friend early 80s. And he was urging me to visit him uh, in D.C. where he lived. And he says, you got to come here. You always talk about how great Chicago is. You got to see how another city is. And I was thinking, wow, all I do is moan and groan these days, D, about Chicago and its insane politicians. And there must have been a time when I loved Chicago so much, I obsessively talked about it to my friends who didn't live here. Chicago's so cool, man. In Chicago, we do this. In Chicago, we do that. So uh, as I sit here, I'm looking out the window at that beautiful porta potty in that alley, and I'm trying to remember what it is exactly that I love so much about Chicago. And yeah, I got to say, it has to be the people. It's certainly not the weather. That's for certain. And it's certainly not a lot of some of our elected officials, although I kind of like them too. There's so many characters in this town. And there's so many people who've taught me so much 
uh, in the 40 or so years that I've lived here. The way they talk, the logic they employ, their toughness when it comes to exchanges, they're always in your face. And then their mildness when it comes to challenging power. I open this book to any freaking page, any freaking page, and I'll introduce me to a great character that I met in the city of Chicago. I'm just going to open this book right now. And, okay, so this is a story I did uh, in 1996 about Muhammad Ali. Uh, and I did. I was obsessed with Muhammad Ali. Well, I'm obsessed with Muhammad Ali, but I was obsessed with the story about whether Muhammad Ali uh, kept his gold medal or threw away his gold medal in an act of protest. And I was turned on to this fact by uh, the 1996 Olympics, when at the op- opening of the uh, opening ceremony, they sh- uh, Muhammad Ali lit the um, the ceremonial uh, torch. Uh, he carried the torch in. He lit the ceremonial flame for the Olympics. And Bob Costas, who was doing the the announcing for NBC, said that they're going to give Muhammad Ali a new gold medal to make up for the one he lost in 1960 he had won the gold medal in 1960 and then he lost it and uh there was an apocryphal tale bob Costas said that uh that he had thrown away the medal in protest but in fact he just lost it and i'm like i'm watching this i'm going apocryphal tale muhammad ali muhammad ali was the one who told that story we know who told that story it was not some like uh unrooted tale with no source, Muhammad Ali was the source. And the Chicago Connection, he, it was in a book called The Greatest, which I obsessively read in the 70s. And it was co-authored by Richard Durham, who was a great Chicago writer. And so I tracked down Richard Durham's son, Mark Durham, to talk about it. But that's, it's like Bob Casas had insulted a great Chicago and Richard Durham by saying Muhammad Ali like the story wasn't true. By the way, Muhammad Ali never denied the story. I don't know if it's true or not. For all I know, he did make it up, but he never denied it. The only person I heard deny it was people like Bob Costas, who wasn't around in 1960. So anyway, D, it's sort of like that. It's just like everywhere I, I've gone for the last 40 years, I've met someone incredible in the city of Chicago. And uh, they all like a part of me. Uh, and they're like part of my worldview and part of my voice the voice that you hear on the show, the voice that you read in the reader. So thank you one and all. I came here in 1981. I could have lived anywhere. And here I am 40 years later in Chicago. We got a great show today, everyone. Joanna Klonsky, political strategist and operative, will be here talking to Andrew Cuomo, men behaving badly, the future of the Democratic Party, Robin Kelly or Michelle Harris. Who should the Democrats choose to run their state party? Can Pritzker be reelected? Oh, my God, so much to talk about. What to make of AK-16? AK-16. Yeah, Adam Kinzinger. That's his new nickname, ladies and gentlemen. He loves that nickname, guys. (laughs) Can you tell? All right, for 10 trivia points, you already answered this question. In basketball, there was an AK-47. His name, please. Who, me? Yeah. Huh? Who else? (laughs) I want everybody to know that you talk on the Ben Jarofsky show. Go ahead. (laughs) Andre Kirilenko, number 47, AK-47. I can't Utah Jazz. Yes. I could not believe he knew that. I said, uh, we're going to talk about AK-16 tonight, by the way. Who's the original AK? And I thought he would go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he knew it. <laughs> Adam Kinzinger, I don't know. 
Yeah. Anyway, uh, so a lot to talk about with uh, Joanna Clouds. We're going to get into all that. But before we do that, the young man from home, the man they call DS47, <laughs> just didn't really work out. No. The, the man they call Dr. D with the news. Hey there. Dennis here. Name's Dennis. <laughs> Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon, yes, Ben Jarofsky's book is out. Go get it. But his latest column has yet to drop. And right now, a sneak peek. Oh, my goodness. Ben, I know you wrote it on Monday. Tell us a bit about your latest column soon to come out at ChicagoReader.com. Maybe give us the inspiration behind it. You know, guys, I said it's been a while since I wrote a TIFF story. You guys are getting lazy. All right, you're falling asleep on the tiff beat. You're like, oh, Ben's not writing about it. Guess the problem went away. No, 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 negatory. It's still there. So I did another tiff story. Maria Pappas, Cook County Treasurer, did something that I never thought I'd see a politician do. Uh, She took the tiff areas, not just uh, Chicago, but all of uh, Cook County, and broke them out. Uh, commissioner by commissioner. So we could see like which commissioner got how much money in last year of in TIFFs. Uh, it's not really, the commissioners don't control it, but their symbols, their, their districts are symbolic of like who got what, who wins and who loses. And guess what? As we all know, the richer you are, the more TIF money you get. It's a program intended to help the poor and it benefits the rich. It's utterly insane that we perpetuate this program. We continue this program, particularly, D, when so many people say the number one thing I want to do is eradicate social inequity. That's what's most important. Okay, guys, the program that's supposed to eradicate social inequity, guess what? Is inequitable. It favors the rich over the poor. Well, Ben, don't talk about it. Let's not do anything on it, okay? Can you talk about something else other than that? D, I've lived here for 40 years. It's the flip side. I was waxing nostalgic about how much I love the people. But I'll tell you about something else about Chicagoans. Stubborn bunch. Well, once they get something, that's it. Nope, not going to change. Nope, nope, nope. We got this TIFF program. We like it. We don't care what you say about it. Monroe's got a neighbor. He tells me about it from time to time. He's a TIFF consultant. And Monroe, when the old days when he would be uh, going for walks as opposed to hanging out in his house for fear of the virus, he'd bump into the neighbor, neighbor would be walking still, and goes, that friend of yours doesn't know a thing about TIFFs. Okay, I know everything about TIFFs. So Monroe goes, all right, well, why don't you go talk to him? No, I won't be quoted. Oh, <laughs> isn't that funny, D? The guys who know so much, but won't be quoted. That's another thing. That's not just Chicago, but that's journalism in general, D. People, okay, this is off the record. And then they tell you something. It's like, why is that off the record? That's not even remotely controversial. That's something else I've stopped doing, D, over 40 years. I'm not quoting anybody anymore. Good. That's it. No more quotes. You either come on the show and talk into the microphone and tell people what you want to think. No more of this. Let's go off the record on this. And then they tell you, well, the sky is blue. Oh, we had to go off the record for that? For that, we went off the record. <laughs> anyway, that's a tangent, D. I started talking about my column, and I got it there. It's a great column about Tiff's. Maria Pappas, what a character she is. Cook County Treasurer. we got to bring her on the show, D. See if I get a word in edgewise with her. So that's what I wrote about. The inequity 
the TIFF program. Once a month, I'm going to write a combo about that, folks, because you're falling asleep on that oh, one. Wow. Quit yelling at our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I love you, listeners. Thank you. I got up. You got to know how early I got up today, D? I may fall asleep right in the middle of the Please don't do that. <laughs> I got up so early, man. There were birds chirping. Chirp, chirp, chirp. Love the days when Ben wakes up early. Man, I woke up early. Okay. It's great. It's the latest column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. And guys, you just got a sneak peek. It's not out yet. All right. So you'll be, uh, you know, you can go tell people, you know, a little bit about it. Chicagoreader.com. Be on the lookout. Okay. Local news. Let's do this. Hmm. Where's my newspapers, Ben? <laughs> yeah, I'm there. I just get my newspapers out. Oh. That's all. Okay, great. Local news. Let's do this. Springtime. Love it. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. <laughs> Governor J.B. Pritzker's Illinois COVID-19 vaccination site tour continues. Today, J.B. Pritzker visited a vaccination site in Aurora, Illinois. He gave a Q&A this morning and, well... He had vaccines on his mind. Here's a little bit of audio from the governor. Even if everyone who wants to be vaccinated today were to receive it, that wouldn't be enough for us to reach herd immunity. So it's important that we get the message out to those who are vaccine hesitant, that vaccines are safe and they offer effective protection against serious COVID illness and death. Anything else, governor? <laughs> to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible, we have to not only increase the pace of vaccinations, but also do the outreach to help those who might not have the technology or the transportation available to them or who've been misinformed about the nature of vaccines. All right, it is now time for a segment on the program, a new segment <laughs> that we call a vaccine update. Ben Jarofsky, have you got the vaccine? No, uh, this cracks me up, man. This is a great segment. <laughs> a new segment of the program. People, we spent the entire weekend working on that segment. I just want you to know, okay? All weekend long with the, <laughs> the intro music, all right? We were working like at least three hours on Sunday, trying different songs to lead. Which one should we lead in? I think we'll go with that one, like this Jaws theme. Okay. But no, I've not got it. And I just had a laugh listening to JB, you know, uh, Governor Pritzker, uh, going on and on about urging people to get the vaccine. Uh, Governor, message to Governor, the vaccine doesn't exist. Hello. So freaking rollout is a joke. Hello. Vaccine not here. <laughs> it's the worst rollout ever. I'm sorry. Gotta say it, not your fault, okay? There's a lot of issues here with the vaccine. Our last president was a joke on the issue of the vaccine. Somehow or other, he couldn't coordinate it, that the federal government would have enough vaccines produced to get it to everybody. But no, oh my God, the stuff you have to go through to get a vaccination, and the way people behave with the vaccination, they buy into it. They like buy into this insanity where we supposedly have this monumental crisis we're facing in our country that shut down our economy and must be solved at all costs, which is this pandemic. We have a solution, but we're not going to distribute it. 
fully. It's dribs and drabs. And then it's like you gotta you, you gotta really understand the system. And the system's online, which is a problem right there. Right there, right there is a huge problem. Message to the people who run this country. Not everyone's online. Oh, I know you love your little TikTok and your Instagram and your Twitter and Oh, this is how we this is how we build a podcast audience on the internet, I tell you. This is how we do it. This is it. I love this strategy. It's true. It's true, D. There is a little inconsistency here. I'm on the internet with this podcast. I actually use email. But a lot of people don't. And they don't know how to deal with it. I read this story over the weekend, D. This kid, he's 14 years old, lives in Chicago. So, of course, he knows computers. Like, kids, like, 14-year-old kid was, like, born with a computer chip in his head. Comes out of the womb. So he knows that. God bless this kid. He sounds like a great kid. He's letting all, helping all these geezers, these baby boomers. I don't understand this thing. Help me out here, like me. Every day, Dennis sends me... Uh, the hookup email, and I'm like, little, that pause where I confront the computer. If I do this, the whole thing is going to go down. That's how a lot of baby, not all of you. Oh, my God. You know what's kind of annoying? The baby boomers know computers. Like, they, you know what I mean? Yeah, they know computers. They think that's like hip. That is hip. But there's a lot of, even, there's a lot of people out there who don't even know as much as I do, which is frightening. So they're, they're out of the loop, guys. Did you think about that? Did you think about that at all? It's so important that absolutely everybody who's a great risk get the uh, vaccine. Well, what about the thousands and thousands of people who don't have computer access? Did you think about them? Uh, no, we didn't think about them. But it's really important everybody get the, the vaccine. So anyway, then there's guys like me. I want the vaccine, D. I've signed up like at three or four sites. Every day, someone gives me a different site. I want to thank Frank. He gave me a different site to sign up for. I appreciate people looking out for Ben. I got a, an email from a friend, dear friend, explained what he did to get vaccinated. What he did was so complicated, D, and he was urging me to do it. And it was like basically, essentially, the message was I was supposed to go to a, a site where they're giving the vaccine, sign up, and even though they tell me, they're going to tell you, leave. Don't leave. This is the advice. They're going to tell you to leave. They're going to say, they're going to, I don't have no vaccines. Don't listen to them. Because at the end of the day, there'll be some vaccines left over, and you'll get it. So you got to stay there for like four hours. This, this is the vaccine. 2021, the most important thing in the world. And then if you're lucky, after four hours, all right, I got an, I got an extra vaccine. Come here, big guy. Roll up that sleep. Everywhere I go on the Facebook, baby boomers. Ah, I got vaccinated. My wife got vaccinated. I'm like, what am I, chopped liver? Meanwhile, you got JB hopping town to town doing vaccination tours. Give me one of those. All right, next, let's go. Vaccination tours, town to town, JB. I hate to break it to you. There's no vaccines. Have you ever gone on one of those websites, D? No. no, you're not. Yeah. Oh my God. Website down. We'll be up in a little while. <laughs> my wife is like, you got to do it every five minutes. You got to go check in with the thing. Oh, there's a great, what a great rollout. Let's fight the pandemic. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to find a new way to torture people. They have to go online. 
50 times a day. Anyway, but see, that's just, see, I got a bad attitude. You no, know, I you just, you know, I got never, a, never, yeah, got a, never got a, ba- <laughs> got a bad attitude. D. Cause so many of my baby boomer peers, they're happily going on the internet day in and day out. They don't complain. You know, look at me complaining. I got a bad attitude. I got to clean up my attitude. The problem is me, not thee. So I'm going to change my way starting right now. All right. That'll probably change in about five minutes. <laughs> hey, shout out uh, to our friend Dog Doggerson on the live stream chat. Dog mm-hmm. Doggerson writes, the testing place I go to started requiring a smartphone. Mm. You're kidding. No. That, that proves my point, dog. Thanks for writing in. <laughs> Or uh, barking in. <laughs> oh, my God. How did a dog... Okay, that's cool, but how did a dog join a live stream chat room? That's my big question. Yeah, the dog got on. Meanwhile, all these baby boomers don't even have computers. <laughs> Do you think Phyllis knows how to use a computer? Absolutely. Yeah, oh, Phyllis. She's on those Phyllis. Facebook yard sales, baby. <laughs> Phil's, of course, the brains behind uh, the defeat of the fair tax. So, by the way, the answer uh, for our segment has been Jarofsky got a vaccine. No, he hasn't. He's still waiting. OK. Uh, the governor was also asked about the current race for Democratic Party of Illinois chair. That's right. The seat that Mike Madigan once held. It's now down to two. Chicago Alderwoman Michelle Harris. Ben of what ward? Hey, come on. Name one school in that ward. Black in the country, Simeon High School, uh, South Shore High School. It wasn't the fifth. Okay, I said one. You're now embarrassing yourself. <laughs> You're a nerd. Just one. Only needed one. I think it may be in the redistricting in the eighth, but don't quote me. So it's Alderwoman Michelle Harris and Congresswoman Robin Kelly. Last week, Pritzker let the cat out of the bag. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> that pre-show meeting paid off. The, the governor told us who he is backing to replace Madigan in one of his 600 positions. He's backing Michelle Harris. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, here we are one week later. Has the governor waffled? We have two qualified candidates. I'm supporting one in particular, uh, Michelle Harris, who I think is a terrific person who's built over decades a ground operation, knows how to get voters to the polls, has supported Democrats up and down the ballot across the state. No, he is not. He's still rooting for Michelle Harris. You know, have you, are you walking around? No, that's some guy in the alley. <laughs> the, the, do you hear a knocking sound? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, hell, let me look. Oh, it's some guy hammering. Hold on. Hey! Oh my God! Don't we're, we're doing a podcast. Stop, huh? Yeah. No, I don't care if you got the the guy in the porta potty. Tell him to leave. We're doing a podcast. All right. He's, Sorry, D. He was hammering as you were yelling that. So the guy he ruined the bit. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> I thought you were I wasn't I wasn't looking at your camera. I thought you were like pacing back and forth or something like what are you doing? Okay. <laughs> uh, he's still hammering. So here I'll show you a little technical thing I could do. Watch. Oh, mute. There we go. That's great. <laughs> Good job. He's a muter, guys. 
So, no, the governor has not waffled. He's still rooting for Michelle Harris. And, you know, not a lot of people on Team Robin Kelly at the moment. In fact, a law firm that represents the Democratic National Committee and political candidates across the country, including Governor J.B. Pritzker, issued a memo Monday. A memo casting doubt on Representative Robin Kelly's ability to chair the Illinois Democratic Party while also serving in Congress. Ben, 50 bucks says Madigan has something to do with it. The following (laughs) comes from Shia Kapos in Illinois Politico. Perkins Coy, well, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Perkins Coy partner, Brian Svoboda. I think it's Swoboda, but don't quote me. Ah, all right. Hey, if you're coming for correct pronunciations uh, on the Ben Jarofsky show, you're not going to get them. All right. Uh, this person says Kelly, quote, would need to resign from federal office or curtail her duties as a party chair. So she, quote, does not establish finance, maintain or control of party funds for purposes of federal campaign finance law. This is according to the memo sent to acting party chair Karen Yarbo. Uh, Representative Chewy Garcia called the attorney's memo an attempt to, quote, delegitimize Kelly. In a statement released Monday night, uh, he called on party leaders to focus on, quote, modernizing its finance operation, developing an army of small dollar donors, and engaging in activating a rapidly charging electorate. Kelly offered her own legal opinion from Illinois election attorney Michael Dorff. Dorf wrote, quote, there is no legal obstacle to Kelly serving as party chair while acknowledging that the Federal Election Commission may have to clarify some duties about raising or spending, quote, soft money if she became party chair. So far, Harris has 44 percent of the vote from 15 committee members and Kelly has 29 percent with 10 supporters. State Rep Al Riley. And Sheila Stocks Smith, recently appointed member of the Democratic State Central Committee from the 18th Congressional District, said Monday that they will back Robin Kelly. So how about Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky? Where do you stand, sir? Michelle Harris or Robin Kelly? Well, I'm not ready to answer that question right oh. now, D. Uh, you know, I'm hoping for <laughs> um, I'm hoping for solicitations for both candidates. How's that? I'm going to be one of those uh late to make up their mind types. Isn't that how you should play the game, D? Like, take your time. Make up your mind. It's all about love. I'm sorry, I just, out of of nowhere, I started channeling this Earth, Wind, and Fire song from 1975. I humbly apologize. Um, All right. Let's just break all this down. Number one, I'm going to write down what I want to talk about all around. Election lawyers. You usually do that before the show, but go ahead. Sure. Again. Okay. Number one, Alderman, Alderwoman, Eighth Ward Alderman, uh, Michelle Harris. This is nothing derogatory about Michelle Harris. So Michelle Harris fans, don't send in emails. I'm just going to make a very general observation. Do not send emails complaining. I'm just saying. I'm not certain that if you're talking about promoting a statewide party, a Democratic party that is competitive in areas that have gone for Trump, downstate areas that our show's producer, Dr. D, will tell you are filled with Pritzker suck signs. 
downstate areas that are so hostile to Chicago that their state reps go around talking about how they want to secede from the state and be independent of Chicago. Okay, if you're talking about building a base of support in areas like those, areas where they love Jimmy Buffett more than I love fried chicken, <laughs> I just threw that in there for Dennis. I'm not certain that a Chicago alderwoman is the prototypical type that you want doing the outreach. I'm not saying anything bad about Michelle Harris. She may be absolutely the right person to go downstate. And tell all those Jimmy Buffett lovers in Godfrey, didn't know I knew that town, did you, D? Uh, <laughs> and Alton and all those other communities that they should vote Democrat. But just on the surface, it just does not seem like an astute move. D, if you go to somebody downstate and you say, I'm a Chicago alderman, do you think that's going to be a selling point or do you think that's going to turn people off your thoughts you're going to get called a hippie in like three seconds (laughs) see what i'm saying a freaking hippie or an effing hippie i don't swear on the show d now there are there are there are liberals and democrats downstate obviously but you know but even they don't like chicago aldermen so i just i don't think i even like chicago aldermen all right i don't think you like a lot of chicago aldermen let me say this. I love Chicago aldermen. We, how many aldermen have we had on this show in the last week alone, D? You're right. Matt Martin. You know I love him. Rosanna. Byron. Scotty Wagaspack. I love Chicago. Sue Sadlowski Garza. You're right. I sit corrected. I sit corrected. Yeah. You know I love Chicago aldermen. But I'm not a typical downstate voter. I'm not a downstate voter at all. I've never even lived downstate. I went to Carbondale once. It was so high, I can't remember anything that happened. I saw a Bruce Springsteen concert in Champaign. That's as close to as I've come to downstate. I'm just saying, it just does not seem to be like an astute move by someone looking to build a Democratic brand in Bob Diver country. And you know what it tells me, folks? They're not interested in building the Democratic brand in Bob Diver country. What they're interested in doing is consolidating their power in Cook County and DuPage County and Lake County. Those are the areas around the city of Chicago and the city of Chicago. So that's just what it says to me, D. That's just, now, I don't know if Robin Kelly, second congressional uh, district congresswoman, in that area is South Chicago uh, and into the southern suburbs. I don't know if she's any better uh, at uh, winning over downstate Dems or Dems outside of the Chicago area. And I don't even know if that should be the goal. Maybe what they're saying is these communities are so far removed from us. They will never come back. We're not going to, we're not going to even think about them anymore. Maybe that's what they're saying. Uh, But I just got to say on the surface, uh, Chicago, putting a Chicago older woman up as the chairman of the democratic party in the state of Illinois, it's not really sending a message that you understand, care uh, about the people who don't live like in the general Chicago area. So that's my first thoughts on that subject. The second issue, the election lawyers, what a joke. <laughs> what a joke, D. They drag out some election lawyer who were, is that what she accomplished so that he, his firm worked for Pritzker? Yep. Oh, what? <laughs> Oh, he's not biased. 
Why don't you, that's like dragging me out in the middle of a fight between Lori Lightfoot and the Chicago Teachers Union and saying, full of unbiased opinion on what's going down. Let's listen to a guy who loves the Chicago Teachers Union. At least I admit my biases. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not, D, I'm not buying it. I'm sorry. You can get any opinion you want from a lawyer. That's what they're there for. They're taught. Like, that's what they're taught. Jim Coogan explained this to me. In law school, you're taught you're supposed to argue each side of a position. So if you got to argue that Robin Kelly is not eligible because of some federal law, you make that argument. And then you're taught to argue the reverse. Do a flip-flop and argue the reverse. So, like, how is that significant? How is that news? <laughs> Michelle Harris found some lawyer or people who support Michelle Harris found some lawyer who said, well, I studied the law and the ca- candidate I oppose is not eligible to run. You know what, Dan thought? Why don't more politicians do that? Can you imagine? Lori Life would run unopposed. She'd get some lawyer who supports her. I'm sure there's some lawyers in Chicago. Get Flesner. He's not doing anything anymore. Mark Flesner, the former corporation counsel. Lori Life had just fired him. Get Flesner to make a bunch of rulings. Um, uh, Stacey Davis Gates is not eligible to run for mayor because she uh, played basketball in the South Bend. Yes. That's a good Flesner. For- <laughs> That's a good Flesner. Spot on. Who else is who else is a potential candidate against Lori Lightfoot? Uh, Byron Sisha Lopez of the 25th Ward is not eligible to run for mayor against Lori Lightfoot because once upon a time, he didn't have cable TV. It's a fact. Look it up. Election law. You got to have cable TV to run. I'm a lawyer. I looked it up. As I like to tell Jim Coogan, you can find a lawyer to say anything. So I'm not that impressed. Dave. Sorry. Sorry, I'm not that impressed that they that, that Michelle Harris supporters found some lawyer willing to say that Robin Kelly's ineligible. And then they got Dorf. Michael Dorf was a guest on the show once, Steve. Do you remember that? I thought so. Yeah, he was a guest. Michael Dorf, among other things, is known for wearing bow ties. I'm oh. not making that up. Oh, he no. a, he, I, I sorry, I don't remember. I thought you were talking about the guy on those videos, like Dorf goes fishing and stuff like that, I guess. No, I, I don't even know what that video is, and it's not him. Oh. Although maybe Michael Dorf goes fishing. In the dig, on a tangent, the guy who is digging, what's his name? Ralph Finus? Is that how he pronounces his name? The British actor? Oh, they couldn't find an American to play that role, huh? Anyway, in the dig, he's digging. He's an excavator, and he's, like, digging up the dirt <laughs> to find the ruins below the ground. D, he's wearing a tie and a jacket. I'm like, wow, things were different back in the 1930s, he wore a tie and a jacket. Oh, going to work today, what a day with a tie and a jacket. Anyway, I'm just thinking of Michael Dorf with his bow tie fishing. Anyway, they uh, Robin Kelly got her lawyer. Yeah, well, he, he read the same federal law and go, oh yeah, of course she's eligible. So let's not listen to the lawyers, guys. I, I know you want to, by the way, speaking of which, Adolfo Mondragon, I kind of deal with him. He'll be returning to the show. Adolfo Mondragon, our favorite election lawyer, will be in uh, on the, and he's battling D Michael Dorf in a case right now. Oh as wow! We speak. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It all comes together, D. The world comes together. My God! So uh, guys, what a scam! Okay, I gotta give I gotta give Pritzker's crowd credit. They found some lawyer. They dragged him. They got the Sun Times to bite. They wrote a story. She Capitals wrote a story. Everybody's writing stories. Our election lawyers say. Anyway, 
I would have written the story too. It's fun. You know, you got quote this election lawyer, then you quote that election lawyer. And isn't and you're there, right, Madigan's probably sitting back laughing his little booty off. The, the, uh, look at me. Well, but isn't there like a little uh, bit of like, uh, what are you saying? A woman can't do uh, multiple jobs in once aspect to this as well? No, Am I saying that? no, I'm saying like, you know, with this lawyer and everything, you know what I mean? Oh, in other words, they're, they're arguing that Robin Kelly, who is a woman, is that the woman in question that you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, she yeah, can't be a kind yeah. Of, oh, uh, well, they're saying that's okay. They're not legal, literally saying that she's incapable of handling both jobs at once because she just can only do one thing at once. As opposed to me, I'm talking to you while I'm looking outside at that carpenter doing two things at once. Uh, they're arguing that legally the job she has as congresswoman prevents her from conducting the job as chair of the Democratic Party. Haters but, uh, gonna you, hate. your point, your point's a good one. They may be putting that out there subliminally. So voters in Illinois are like, are thinking it. Whoa, that's deep, D. That election lawyer is no joke. I'm going to wash your brains. I'm not a perfect person. Uh, of course, just so you know, uh, if Alder woman Michelle Harris uh, is selected as the party chair, that means she will have the following jobs. Do you ready? She will be alderwoman of the eighth ward. She'll be committee woman of the eighth ward. She'll be a state central committee woman. Uh, she will be Mayor Lori Lightfoot's floor leader, right? Don't forget, she's the floor leader of mayor for Mayor Lori Lightfoot. She will be chair of the rules committee in Chicago. Oh my God, I'm, I think I'm up to five things. And party chair, I was counting on my fingers. It's pretty embarrassing when you miscount and you're counting on your fingers. By the so way, it should be very busy. By the way, everybody, uh, if you haven't heard of it, Google Dorf Goes Fishing. <laughs> it's very awesome stuff. Oh, man, I got one. Oh, come <laughs> We haven't done that fishing one in a while. Been waiting didn't almost a year to play that one, pal. All right. Wait, didn't we do it with the alligator? <laughs> I don't know. Were we doing that with the alligator? No, they, God, no, they were, ta- they were talking about how uh, some of the things that you couldn't do because of the pandemic and fishing was one of them. Uh, oh. Oh. <laughs> anyway, I uh, I do believe you're right though that Michael Madigan is laughing somewhere, going, uh, "Though they don't miss me now, huh? You miss me yet?" That's what Trump's thing was when he gave a speech. You miss me yet? No, nobody misses you. All and right, Madigan's like, "Miss me yet?" <laughs> all right, and since we're talking about Democrats and infighting and all that good stuff, uh, our good friend Stephen reached out on the live stream chat, wondering if you read uh, the email that he sent to you. Yes, have to find it. And yeah, you could be like Stephen, reach out to the Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Show at gmail.com. B E N N Y, the letter J Show at gmail.com. Leave your name, where you're from. There's a good chance we will read your email like we're about to do with Stephen. Yes. Uh, here we go. Hi, Bennis. Hi, Dan. Hope you're good. Uh, today's show is bitching. Great work. During the show, Ben, you made an offhand remark about wondering why the lefty set doesn't like being called, quote, liberals anymore. I have a few thoughts, and so I figured I'd kick them over to you for consideration. Also, given the fact that most of your audience are mostly members of the shit on millennials. Now, that is so not true, Steve. I love millennials. 
I thought it'd be useful to share a millennial Gen Z lefty perspective. Uh, very good. But first, some words from academics to make my arguments more credible. Quote, there is only one party in the United States, the property party, and it has two right wings, Republican and Democrat, unquote. That is the great Gore Vidal wrote that. And then uh, Method Man, quoting Raider Ruckus, quote, cash rules everything around me. C-R-E-A-M. Get the money. Dollar, dollar, dollar bills, bills, y'all. It's a song. Okay, but I wasn't going to do it as a song, all right? You know what I mean? I mean that would look really stupid if I go, yep. <laughs> um, but no, I method, I'm well aware of Method Man. I knew his brother, okay? Who, who's his brother? <laughs> who's his brother? Tell us, man, who's his brother? Horace, Horace Man, yes. Uh, <laughs> I was the only man I could think of at that moment. And then he had a cousin named And Woman, Man and Woman. Oh. Sorry. <clears throat> It's really lame. I start with property and wealth to highlight the fundamental nature of power in America. Historically speaking, America was one, uh, as historians call it, bourgeois revolutions in the 18th century that built a society where the owners of property and not divine monarchs would be the masters of society. James Madison, lead author of the U.S. Constitution and founder of the Democratic Republican Party, puts it like this, quote, the primary function of government is to protect the minority of the opulent from the majority of the poor. Wow. And what can, that's pretty well, that kind of sums it all up, Stephen. And what canon of political philosophy was Madison steeped in? Why, European enlightened liberalism, of course. In the modern era, liberal has come to mean quite narrowly the segment of the Dallas Property Party that thinks women, queer folks, immigrants, black, indigenous, and people of color at all should be considered fully entitled to human rights, reflecting the practice ideals of the founding liberal elite, but ignoring the choices they make. So why then are today's DSA, BLM, anti-fascist, Occupy Wall Street alum, ascendant political class so opposed to being lumped in with liberals? Because increasingly, many of them are honest to God leftists. They believe actual leftist ideals like social welfare programs, a classless society, workplace democracy, and the abolition of capitalism. They read Jacobin and third and crime think. They are inspired by the works of Davis Graber and Bell Hooks and by leaderless, horizontally organized movement. To these people, to us, liberal is a dirty word. Liberals are the members of the prof professional managerial class who live in skyscrapers paid for by the craven intergenerational rat fucking of the middle and the work that it is okay, a very let's, let's Let's put a beep in there. Wait, wait. All right. Liberals sold us the deadly lie that all they had to do was take on massive debt, go to college, and prosperity. But ours goes on from there. But uh, I um, – Stephen, I can't argue with anything uh, you say. You say it very well. You're, you're taking a look at it from the perspective of why a lefty wouldn't want to be a liberal. Uh, and I agree with what pretty much everything you wrote uh, to that point. The other, the flip side of that is how liberals don't want to be thought as liberals anymore. Yeah, so I, I think that the left, between the left and the right, they've so discredited the word liberal that now liberals want to be called progressives, which is a joke, in my humble opinion, Stephen, because a progressive is, by definition in the word itself, somebody who thinks in terms of making society more progressive. So and the, the thing I always talk about, taxation, or progressive taxes, so the wealthier pay more. And yet many of the liberals who rule our city, state, and New Washington don't want progressive taxes. And yet they want the title of progressive. So it's those people 
that confuse me. They want to be known as progressives, even though they're not for progressive values. Makes no sense at all. And I think it's largely because the left and the right together, coming at it from different ways, has really sullied what the word liberal what the word liberal means. For instance, when I first met Dennis, I said, Dennis, what are your politics? He goes, I'm liberal. And now when I tell you, <laughs> I just threw that in there. And now he like he won't be going near it. But seriously, Dennis would never go near the word liberal. He would not want to be known as a liberal. And that's because the word liberal has just got such a bad connotation on every front. So do you know what? Hmm. You know how everybody goes this way? I go that way. It's, done, it's worked really so well for me. Here they go this way. I'll go that way. I want to be known as a liberal. I am a liberal. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm going to be from now on. Liberal. Liberal talk. <laughs> Wait, didn't I get kicked off the yeah. liberal? Could have used that about uh, two years ago, buddy. This uh, oh, this yeah. new this new Ben Jarofsky. Uh, a little late on that train. Even the liberal radio station calls themselves progressives. Think about that. We're progressive talk, but don't talk about tiffs. Anyway, D. That's a great letter, Stephen. I appreciate it. And you're absolutely correct. That's why lefties don't want anything to do with the liberal label. And Stephen, congratulations! You are now the record holder of the longest email anyone has ever sent that us. My correct. my God, that was long. <laughs> <laughs> Have nothing going on that day, man. I kid. All right, and uh, that is our local news. But you know, let's Wait, just keep... there was something else you were going to say Hold on the news. That's one fifty. You forgot, seven. huh? We got more. <laughs> what you forgot, huh? <laughs> You forgot school open. Well, there's plenty more show to go. All right. So when we when we finish our interview with Joanna Klotsky, we'll talk about uh, the news that we missed while we were gone. Yes, students have returned to school. We're going to talk so much more uh, city news as well. But, you know, Ben, why not just keep the statewide news going? You know what I mean? And, you know, let's talk a little bit about trampolines. What do you say? Wow. Was that on our pre-show production meeting? I don't recall. <laughs> no. But let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah. The little did you know there are there's trampoline regulation going on right now in uh Illinois. And uh we have audio to hear more about it. And uh like I said, more city news coming up after our interview with Joe Anna Klonsky. Gonna be talking all things Chicago Mayor. Oh no, we're gonna be talking about Cuomo, I believe, right? Yes. Oh, that oh, dirty Cuomo. Cuomo. What are you doing, Cuomo? We're going to be talking that so much more, but here's a little trampoline regulation talk. Trampoline parks can cause both minor and severe injuries. Mm. Common injuries include broken legs, compound fractures, head trauma, brain injuries, spinal fractures, neck injuries, dislocations, and sprains. Anything else? When parents take their children to an amusement park or jump facility, they expect that the facility has their child's safety in mind. They do not expect that facilities with an unsafe design and ineffective safety measures leading to injuries and potentially lifelong disabilities and death are allowed to operate. There you go. Hmm. Where was that from? That's uh, that's what's going on in the Illinois news. And I got to say, the trampoline talk way better than Trent Ford. Way to go, uh, whoever that was. I disagree. (laughs) Of course you do. You love Trent Ford. Trent Ford, every Friday at the Ben Jarofsky Show, we have the weather update. One of my favorite segments uh, on the the Friday Ben Jarofsky. Where Dennis plays another segment of Trent Ford. 
Illinois meteorologist. I don't know where he lives, but he's always enlightening and uh, interesting uh, points of view on the weather. So, all right, everybody, uh, that is our local news. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more. ChicagoReader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. Uh, this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews are up there. Our two year anniversary special. Go check it out. Mystery guests. Who are they? Oh, my God. Click download, play, and you will find out. Also, you can find us online at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email like Stephen did, Benny J Show at Gmail. And you can call the Ben Jarofsky Show, 708-658-4788. That number again is 708-658-4788. We would love to hear from you. Okay, I guess we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, Joanna Klonsky will be joining us. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show live from my apartment in Ben's attic. person Wednesday, March 17th, the wait will be over. It's the Chicago Reader's Best of Chicago Awards 2020. The polls are now closed, but you can still review the finalists and who won the Best of Chicago in 2019 at chicagoreader.com. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. Back in the old days, uh, when I was on the radio before I was unceremoniously fired, and even in the early days of of my podcast, I had a regular segment, uh, The Creep Report with Joanna Klonsky. Not that Joanna Klonsky is a creep, but that Joanna Klonsky and I would break down the creepy behavior of weird politicians, elected officials. Oh, my God, Joanna, we must have done a dozen segments like that. Uh, And I said the time had come to bring you back because – the pile of politicians from both parties behaving creepily is growing larger by the day. So welcome back to the show, Joanna. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back with you. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, and um, Joanna Clancy, political strategist, political operative in the city of Chicago. Uh, we may get into a little Lori Lightfoot talk uh, near the end. Uh, Joanna's been known to disagree with me once or twice about my attitudes about Lori Lightfoot, but she's an old friend of mine and I'm not throwing her under a bus. Uh, anyway, all right, Joanna. Not the end of the Jarofsky bus. Say that again? 
You don't want to be under the Jarofsky bus. That's a bad no. Yeah, I don't really throw anybody under the bus anyway. I don't even have a bus. Um, all right. So Andrew Cuomo is the primary person we should be talking about. The, go- uh, the Democratic governor of New York City had emerged as a powerful force uh, on the media uh, in the early days of the pandemic with his regular updating. He's become a hero to many people. I, as a lefty, had a lot of issues with Andrew Cuomo. Let's put those to the side for the moment. And um, let's just address the issues that have emerged in the last, what has it been, a couple weeks uh, about Andrew Cuomo. Why don't you just uh, introduce people to some of the allegations that have been raised? Yeah, sure. So at this point, at this point, there's been, that we know of, three women who've come forward. Lindsay Boylan, Charlotte Bennett, and Anna Roosh, I might be saying her name wrong, who was the most recent. Uh, Lindsay Boylan and Charlotte Bennett are two former staffers of the governor. Anna Roosh is just a person who met him at a wedding. That's the one with the infamous photo now. I don't know. Did you see it, Ben? The picture? I saw it, yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. uh, this is the most recent in which she meets him at a wedding. He puts his hand on her back, on her bare skin. She said she felt uncomfortable. She says, I promptly removed his hand with my hand, which I would have thought was a clear enough indicator that I was not wanting him to touch me. Instead, um, according to the New York Times, Mr. Cuomo called her aggressive and placed his hands on her cheeks, her face cheeks. He said, can I kiss you? And she said, she felt, I felt so uncomfortable and embarrassed that uh, when really he is the one who should have been embarrassed. There's a photo of this that's circulating that, uh, that I was referencing before where somebody literally took a picture of this happening in real time where he's got his hands on her face. Um, it, it, it almost looks like they might be you know, near her neck. And you can just tell her she's massively uncomfortable, as you would be a random, strange man who you've never met before, touching you on your face, trying to kiss you, has already touched you on the small of your back, which is really kind of like a go-to creep move, by the way, Ben. Like, if you're ever in a bar, and like, this probably has ever happened to you, not to make assumptions, but like, very often, you're in a bar, there's a guy trying to hit on you, the first thing he does is he puts his hand on the small of your back, and it's like... One of those things that just sends a shiver up your spine. If you, if it's unwanted, you're like, nope, do not touch me there. So that, the fact that that was his go-to move to me was like biggest red flag in the whole wide world. Now these two other women, we've got um, uh, Lindsay Boylan, who said she detailed a, a, a number of uncomfortable interactions with the governor, including he invited her to play strip poker on a government airplane. Um, And there was an email that she got from another top aide suggesting that he thought she was a, quote, better looking sister of another woman. Um, Charlotte Bennett is the staffer who he asked her a number of questions about her sex life, whether she was monogamous in her relationships, asked her whether she ever had sex with older men. I think she's 25. Mm. Uh, I don't know in what universe it could ever be appropriate for a boss to ask their staff member that, but certainly not a 60-something-year-old man asking a 25-year-old woman. Um, clearly, we have a massive power imbalance here. My thing, Ben, with these situations and my experience, and for folks who don't know me, I spent a lot of time um, consulting and advising um, survivors of sexual violence and misconduct over the last couple of years, sort of during this Me Too, I don't know what you call it, wave that we've had over the last couple of years. Um, there's never just one or two. It's just no one ever just does something like this once and then never does it again. It, I would imagine that there are many more women right now who are sitting in their homes or their offices wondering, 
okay, should I tell my story? So we may see the drip, drip, drip continue over the weeks to come. But the question is, does it matter? Is it going to have an effect on on Governor Cuomo's Cuomo's political career and future? Um, Is anything going to change for in the state of New York, in New York state government, in America, in the world as a result of these stories? And, you know, that's the thing that I think many of us have been grappling with. All right, let me ask you this before we uh, take go in that direction to talk about what will happen and what should happen and talk about also some of the other cases. It's not just Cuomo and it's not just Democrats. And we'll also talk about one of my favorite aspects of this, Joanna, as you know, the difference uh, reactions that Democrats have to allegations of sexual harassment as opposed to Republicans. Um, But I'm going to ask you to go into the psyche of a 63-year-old man uh, at this moment. So help me out here. When, when Mar- Mario, I'm, I apologize. I'm showing my baby, boom, baby, baby boomer status. When Andrew Cuomo, son of Mario Cuomo, when Andrew Cuomo, I apologize, Mario. Uh, when Andrew Cuomo made the moves on a 25 year old woman, a 33 year old woman, this was post me too, Joanna. This was in the last year. This is a guy like who had nothing to gain from putting the moves uh, on a 25 year old woman or 33 year old woman from a political standpoint and everything to lose from it. And yet he did it. Please explain to me what's going on in the mind of a 63 year old governor of New York that he would behave like this, knowing full well the consequences that it could mean for his political career. Go ahead. That's a really hard question. Um, It's hard for me to put myself inside the mind of a man who does things like this. What's clear to me is that it's, it's sometimes it's about sex. It's more often than not, it's about a combination of sex, but mostly it's about power. It's about feeling like you can do whatever the heck you want. And it's a way to assert that in every room that you're in. Um, Every person that you interact with, you can do something to them and put them in a position where they either feel uncomfortable or, um, you know, you're challenging them to play the game with you. Um, I think that uh, in many cases, when you have men, men in positions with this much power, they just, it, they just aren't worried about it. They think they're invincible. They think they can do whatever they want. Um, and for literal millennia, it was true. <laughs> so, some of those behaviors are really deeply ingrained. By the time you're a 63-year-old man who's risen through um, the ranks of power and had these sort of behaviors uh, reinforced as being acceptable for, for decades of your life, even if you see some bad press over someone else, you may just think to yourself, that can never happen to me. Um, in the same way that like, when you hear about a terrible accident happening to someone else, a piano falling out of the sky and falling on someone's head, you're not then like, well, I'm never going to walk down the street again because the piano may fall out of my head. I'm speculating. I can't relate, well, obviously. I can't relate. Yeah, I, I would guess the the analogy that uh, when I was listening to you that popped into my mind uh, is a Chicago politician taking a bribe. Right. And then getting caught on a, a wiretap doing it. Right. Uh, knowing that we have like, what, 100 years of other Chicago politicians getting caught on 
taking bribes and going to prison and what have you, and whatever minuscule amount of money you got from that bribe relative to the loss of your career can't be worth it, but they're incapable. Yes. It's not, I don't think it's a rational behavior, um, but that doesn't excuse it. Um, it's, it's the, if he wants to hold on, which I think he probably will, he's extremely arrogant, obviously. He's also quite popular still, although a couple of weeks. Um, and so he'll have to demonstrate some really significant behavioral and policy change in his office if he wants to hold on. To me, it's not clear yet that he, based on his statements and behavior in the last couple of days, it's not clear yet to me that he understands what he needs to do and why. Well, um, even his you know, apology was—I thought terrible. It was. Well, I wouldn't even call it an apology. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh, it was. I didn't. Basically. Yeah, I didn't do it. I won't do it again. And if someone was offended by it, I apologize. Although I don't understand why anybody would be offended by it. That was essentially his apology. It was a joke. Don't you have a sense of humor? Was the subtext? Yeah. Uh, all right. So Michelle Goldberg wrote a column, uh, which I sent to you, and I know you dutifully read. Uh, it was required reading. Michelle Goldberg is a columnist for the New York Times, and she posed a very uh, in, ser interesting series of uh, observations. And uh, number one is, at the, is that Democrats are tired, sick and tired, of punishing Democratic politicians for this kind of behavior. Uh, they feel as though uh, they went too far with Al Franken, the senator from Minnesota, uh, who lost his seat, was eventually forced to step down uh, from his Senate seat uh, for allegations that are probably not as bad as the ones confronting Cuomo. Uh, so, and that's so they're going to retreat from aggressively uh, confronting folks like uh, Cuomo. What was your response? What was your thoughts when you read Michelle Goldberg's? Yeah, I've seen some of this on Twitter and on other spaces of people saying, I don't want to hear another word about Andrew Cuomo until Madison Cawthorn, who's the freshman Republican uh, congressman who's also this week been accused of sexual misconduct. I don't want to hear another word about Andrew Cuomo until all of these Republican men who have done this and worse are held to account. Um, I don't... I don't think that's a new undercurrent. I think there have always been voices in the Democratic Party who've pushed to not uh, take these, hold our own folks accountable um, with in the fullest way possible. You can always sort of hide behind, well, like, why don't why don't we hold Republicans to the same standards ourselves, and therefore we shouldn't hold ourselves to any standards? I, I think it's kind of a nonsense argument. Um, if we start saying we're not going to hold ourselves accountable until Republicans are held accountable, then that's, we might as well just give up on life because those folks clearly have a different set of more of morals and standards and values than we do. If we were the same, then we wouldn't be having any conversation about this at all. Um, I, I think, you know, I've spoken on your show before about the fact that the folks who have pushed, who were most offended by um, holding Al Franken accountable for what he did, um, I think generally have not been interested in, in having a real reckoning with this moment of, of Me Too and the experiences of, of women and other people who've been victimized in the workplace. Um, we're not going to hold our own folks to a high standard, then what do we stand for at all? That's, that's my take on it. 
Now, should Madison Cawthorn be held accountable too? Yes, of course. Everybody should be held accountable for their behavior. Nothing's ever going to change, period. It shouldn't be a partisan issue. Well, since you mentioned Madison Cawthorn, why don't you go into it? Uh, Madison Cawthorn is a newly elected 25-year-old Republican congressman from North Carolina, and he's really to the far to the right, MAGA hat wearer and proud of it. Uh, and what are the allegations against him? Go ahead. Yeah, so Madison Cawthorn, who's just one of those people who, like, even you hear his name, you know there's a problem. Um, he's, uh, he's 25 years old, freshman Republican uh, congressman from North Carolina, BuzzFeed this week published a long piece where they interviewed, I believe, three dozen plus people. Um, instances of sexual harassment related to Cawthorn while he was on campus at Patrick Henry College, which is a small Christian campus in Northern Virginia. Now, because the guy's 25 years old, he wasn't in college all that long ago. This is 2016 we're talking about here. Ben, like, I mean, I was already coming on your friggin' radio show in 2016, I'm sure. <laughs> it really wasn't very long ago. Yeah. Um, it seems like the a lot of the stories relate to him taking women on what he would call, quote, fun drives off campus, where he would drive recklessly and sort of interrogate the woman in the passenger seat about their virginity and sexual experiences while they're locked in this moving vehicle where he's driving uh, recklessly. So um, there's a lot of these kind of stories. Um, I encourage folks to go read it. It's a very, very long piece. Um, and Patrick Henry, Henry College is a place where, you know, it's like I said, it's a very religious school. And so some of the women detail how thrown off they were by this kind of overtly aggressive sexual behavior in a place where many of them come from very deeply held religious backgrounds and values. Um, am I surprised? No. Is he going to be held accountable by his own party? I would not recommend that anyone hold their breath. Um, I think it's just another example. Also, the, this guy is like, uh, uh, I, I would say he's part of the like new Marjorie Taylor Green Club of like really far out there folks um, who just, they, these, these are people who are on a whole nother level of not uh, on accountability. What I thought was most interesting about Madison Cawthorn. Oh no, actually, gosh, there's so many of these stories this week that I'm mixing them up with the other case this week, which happened in North Dakota. Yeah. So, so maybe stay I jump into that one. Yeah. Yeah. Stay but this guy, um, whose name is Luke Simons, Republican. I wouldn't expect anybody to be familiar with a random state representative from North Dakota perpetual sexual harasser harassed one of his fellow state reps so badly that she eventually moved her seat on the floor. Um, but I, what I thought was interesting about the Simons guy is that he compared himself to Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Yes. Full circle after a couple of years. We're still seeing these same tropes being uh, relived again and again. Well, okay, so let's get into that. I was going to raise that point, and this gets into the contrasting attitudes or reaction or responses Republicans have with Democrats. So Andrew Cuomo uh, is caught in uh, an obvious series of incidents of sexual harassment, and the way he gets around it is to show that he's very concerned that he's woke on this issue, uh, but that he didn't. 
he didn't do it. It's not fair to him. Okay. Uh, but he calls for an investigation. I, I, I respect, of course he wanted his own person to do the investigation. Uh, but that's like, a, that's a typical democratic response. Okay. Oh boy. Simons from uh, the state rep from North Dakota. What does he do? He goes on the counterattack. He says it's made up. He don't even bother with it. He goes, I am the victim. I'm the victim. This is all part of woke culture and cancel culture and me too. Yeah. And I'm the next, it's just like with Brett Kavanaugh. I'm like, yeah. In Brett Kavanaugh's case, there was a woman who went forward in front of the whole country and testified what she says you did. So yeah, it's not a good thing. It's not like, you, you get what I'm saying? It was some baseless made up fantasy about Brett Kavanaugh. A woman testified publicly as to what he did, but see how the Republicans do it. They've turned in themselves into a victim. Go ahead. Right. But, but I think that what's important here for me is at the time when Brett Kavanaugh was being concerned, many of us were saying, if this man can be confirmed, despite these very strong um, substantiated allegations, despite Christine Blasey Ford's, you know, very compelling testimony, it will send a message to men everywhere that there is no accountability to be had. Do what you will. It, it's never going to hurt you. And I think that's certainly been internalized on the Republican side, but I think to some degree it's been internalized by everyone, whether or not they're articulating them to themselves in this way. Um, that moment was so power, sent such a powerful message to men and to abusers everywhere that you will never truly be, if this man at this level and President Trump, who, God, I mean, how many rape allegations exist against him to this day, aren't held accountable ever meaningfully, then no one ever will be. And so this is a, a little bit of a blip. These, these women are complaining, uh, carry on as you were, and don't worry too much about it. Well, it's detrimental for Democratic uh, politicians to carry on with that behavior, as we're seeing with Andrew Cuomo. I've yet to see any evidence that a Republican official has been uh, punished for it. Brett Kavanaugh is now in the Supreme Court. Uh, Madison Cawthorn is still in Congress. I suspect he won't be punished. Donald John Trump is still being lionized by MAGA. Uh, by the way, he may fit, get his time in court on this issue uh, as a case that I am obsessively following from afar. E.G. Carroll still has a lawsuit, yes. a defamation lawsuit yeah. against. Yeah. So go, uh, Ms. Carroll. Yep. Uh, yeah. But I see your, your large. I see when I look at Andrew Cuomo's behavior, I, I and I, that's why I asked you to put yourself in a psyche. I, I think he thinks he's just above it all and that uh, he's in that moment or he thinks he's he's so enamored with himself. Follow me on this one, Joanna, that he thinks whatever woman he's coming on to is just going to be wowed and would never complain about it. You know what I mean? Because he's he's just like full of himself. And go ahead. So I don't think I don't even think he's even thinking of a public consequence for his behavior. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I think that there is culturally sort of a style of uh, engagement that I have personally experienced in politics in particular of men of a certain age 
who sort of push the toe the line, push the limits. They're joking. They're it's. It, I think in their mind, it's being sort of like edgy and charming. Um, and some women take it that way, probably, perhaps. I don't know. But the power dynamic is is the game changer. So if he's interacting that way with someone who's his peer and who for whom he's not in charge, it's pretty hard for your governor because no one's really your peer. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if there's, a, I suppose, a different man who's in a different role who's interacting with someone who's their peer and using that, making those sort of edgy, borderline sexual jokes and asking sexual questions, um, that's a different case. He's the governor of the state. He's talking to his employees. Um, he's talking to women far younger than him. He's talking to people far younger than him. And so innately, every interaction he has with them, there's a power dynamic that's at play. Um, and he knows that. He's, he's, Andrew was not stupid. He's a very smart person. Um, so, well, he, he may be smart, but in this particular instances and in these particular instances, he behaved really stupidly and now his political career is in jeopardy. There will be an investigation. I don't know where it's going. Uh, I read Michelle Goldberg's column as did you. And she was, she quoted a polls that show 80% of Democrats still support him. Now this is before I, these polls were taken before many of these allegations came out. And uh, so if there's hearings and public testimony, we'll obviously see that support uh, erode. Uh, And then you're right. You'll get into that situation uh, where uh, it'll be like Democrats rallying to him. And I, listen, I'm guilty of this as much as anybody else, Joanne. I'm going to just openly admit this. It's like it is so blatant the different way in which Republicans treat these kinds of issues in the way Democrats treat. Again, this state rep, Simmons, is going on the offensive in North Dakota, and he's claiming that he's being treated like Brett Kavanaugh, which is like he's acting like he's a victim. That's how Republicans deal with this. Democrats take it more seriously. So I, I do struggle with that. I understand that. And it, it but I mean, politically speaking, it's a Democratic state. I'd rather Andrew Cuomo have to step down, you know, and then the lieutenant governor, who's a Democrat, take over, then have to... The Senator Smith, who took over for Al Franken, she's fine. What's the problem? He's not groping people, as far as I know. You know, I mean, I'm sure that somebody else, I'm sure there's another Democrat who could take over as a governor who would do a completely fine job. And I bet there, I know there's a lot of talent in New York State. That being said, look, I don't think, I don't think it's likely that he will step down unless far more information comes out. I think uh, the allegations that he was juking the stats on on nursing home deaths, in combination of with this, uh, could be could really harm his poll numbers. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's bring this issue closer to home and uh, talk about your friend uh, Elena Hampton. Uh, it was about four years ago, I want to say, uh, that uh, she went public uh, with her story of being uh, harassed by another uh, political operative at the time for Michael Joseph Madigan. Uh, you came on the show and talked about it. Elena Hampton came on the show and talked about it. I think the last time you were actually on the show, you may have been with Elena Hampton. Uh, and uh, I've just watched the story of Michael Joseph Madigan uh, and his power just sort of 
erodes bit by bit ever since then. Obviously, he has other issues besides Elena Hampton's um, allegations against, uh, I for, I'll forget old boy's name, the other operative. Uh, Kevin Quinn. Thank you. Boy, I knew you would know that name. Uh, uh, brother of Marty Quinn. And um, so uh, obviously he's had other problems, but man, Joanna, think about it. Think about the change. When Elena went public, came on the show, and Michael Joseph Madigan was at the just the peak of his power, head of the Democratic Party, Speaker of the House, the leader of the Dems uh, for fighting around her. I was singing his praise. Me, even me, who I've been fighting him for all these years in Chicago. I was like, hey, he stood up against Rauner. And now look at it. Jody, you got to reflect on the changes that have occurred in these last two years since Elena or three years since Elena went public with her story. We said that, and ever since you said four years, I'm like, what is the timeline of the last couple of years? My sense of time is all thrown off, I guess, because of COVID and Trump. But yes, it was it was um, early 2018 when she came forward. So it was, and she it was in the middle of the Democratic primary, I recall. So three years, wow. February or March, yeah. So three years. Um, yeah, and I think um, I think you're right. I think she, the the power and impact of her coming forward, which I think has implications for the last part of our conversation too, um, her coming forward had had an impact in ways that I think she never. I, I don't want to speak for her, but I I would imagine she never dreamed it would either. For example, you know, um, revelations came out related to the FBI's comet investigation that pertained to. Elena, and I don't think people sort of remember this, but remember there's a list of lobbyists who were asked to give her harasser money, Kevin Quinn money. Um, that all became part of the, the Madigan slash Comet investigation um, because he had been fired slash quit because of what happened. Um, he was unable to supposedly support himself. And so all of these lobbyists for Comet, who were the favored lobbyists of, of Madigan's crew, were asked, hey, can you basically help this guy out and, and give him money? Um, this all comes out in the Chicago Tribune. So um, her by her stepping forward, I think it exposed all sorts of issues that uh, she never meant to expose. She was just trying to speak to her truth and make sure that she wanted the bad thing to stop happening to her, and she wanted to make sure that it didn't happen to anyone else. Um, but in the process, all of these other dominoes started to fall. And I think there's, that's the value in coming forward and speaking your truth that we've seen happen in other places as well. Um, you know, in my experience working with other victims and survivors, very often you come forward with the narrow goal of just telling your own story. And in the process, you, you know, secondarily create space for other people to come forward and perhaps tell an even more shocking story or expose something else or you expose some political corruption. So these things tend to have sort of like strange concentric circles of impact. And I think that was certainly the case with Elena. And uh, the final step uh, was of course, Madigan uh, stepping down as party, no, stepping down in his house, uh, from his house seat and the debacle that <laughs> occurred. We had a lot of fun with this story. Uh, over the last week, as you can imagine, uh, Joanna, where uh, his hand-picked uh, successor had to quit after three days. I just always like pointing this out. Madigan was a state rep for 50 years. His successor lasted three days. I think the successor yeah. to the successor has now lasted longer than the successor 
uh, I believe. So uh, gen- just general thoughts on that, the handoff and what's, what's going on there. Go ahead. Yeah, so a friend of mine said, and I think I said this to you, Ben, before the show, uh, if you, if I had told, if someone had told me to write a fictionalized, imagine a fictionalized ending to the Madigan era, um, and I had written it the way that it played out, you would have said to me, Joanna, come on, write something believable. That's, that's completely stupid. Too, too far-fetched. So the fact that this happened in this way, I, I almost am at a loss for words about it, frankly, but this young man, um, apparently has some pretty serious Me Too allegations against him. Um, the details of which have not been stated publicly by the by the the victims of the the, the survivors of those incidents, and so I won't I won't share their stories without them. But it sounds like a pretty serious thing that apparently they didn't. I don't know if they vetted him and just didn't see it or didn't find out about it, or if they just didn't bother to vet him because he was part of the crew, he was part of the club, he was he was coming up through the Thirteenth Ward organization, he was being mentored, and here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, there is clearly a culture um, around that space that we've seen bubble up again and again that has not thoroughly and appropriately been addressed even now. And so hopefully this will be another another opportunity for these problems to be addressed. Uh, I'm glad that the that Mr. Kodat stepped down. It seemed like it would have been really problematic for him to hold that seat but mostly it was a bad PR day for them. And so we've got to get to a place where people are interested in confronting these problems, not just because of bad PR, but because it's actually the right thing to do. <laughs> we're not there well, that, that Yeah, we're, we're far removed from that. And uh, I'll just say this, the same point I made at the outset with Andrew Cuomo, the same point I made that this dude, Andrew Cuomo, two years after Al Franken, would be pawing 25-year-old women at cocktail parties and think he can get away with it. Just shows you it's like serious denial going on in people's minds. And Michael Joseph Madigan's political organization, that they would not have had a guy, even though his own political downfall was to a degree precipitated by sexual harassment by one operative to another operative. It just shows that nobody... By the way, I mean, we also know that the previous executive director of the Democratic Party of Illinois, Tim Mates, was forced to resign after sexual harassment allegations about him came out. This is a pattern. It's a series of culture. It's not just, okay, one guy with issues who couldn't keep it together. This is a cultural issue in an organization, and that's what needs to be addressed. All right. Uh, And I can't leave this without... I forgot to mention this before. Uh, Part of the, uh, the, the Michelle Goldberg piece... Uh, raised a point that I hadn't thought of and I get your reaction to this. And that is that the person who play, paid the greatest price politically for the Al Franken uh, fallout, aside from Al Franken, of course, had a step down was uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, the Senator from New York who ran uh, seems like centuries ago uh, in the democratic primary of 2019 for president. She would never crack my top five, Joanne. I just got to confess that to you. I don't think she ever cracked my top 10, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Like <laughs> uh, there were a lot of candidates, yeah. uh, a lot of competitors for that top 10. I used to keep track. Um, <laughs> but uh, actually, I usually made it to five, and then I just couldn't even have anybody. Uh, but she, Michelle Goldberg made a very compelling point 
that Gillibrand has paid a greater price because she called immediately for Al Franken to step down. And now people kind of blame her uh, for leading uh, to Al Franken's political demise. Your thoughts on that observation that Michelle Goldberg made? Go ahead. I think that's right. She she certainly paid a political price. There was a lot of buzz at the time about donors abandoning her and people being enraged with her. Look, she she stood on her values and she did what she thought she needed to do. And I think what we we've we've seen a lot of cases like this. I would point to Kelly Cassidy in Illinois, who's experienced something similar to her in some cases, um, who's been willing to stand with victims and has been, as a result, had some negative impacts for herself politically. Um, Kirsten Gillibrand, you know, I've seen in the last 48 hours people attacking her saying, where's Kirsten Gillibrand? I guess she's going to stay quiet this time around. So I saw that now she has joined the call for uh, an investigation along with AOC and, you know, um, Chuck Schumer and others. So it, it should never be the focus on the person who's seeking accountability for a colleague should not be the person who is being targeted and punished. And I think we've seen that happen too often. And it's sort of part of this pattern that we've seen play out again and again. Yeah, I uh, I think it's a little unfair. to Again, she was never even my top 10. So it's not like she's my uh, political idol, but I think it is a little unfair that she's she the one. She was in the race all that long, was she? I uh, believe, no, she was not in the race that long. I believe she was in two, at least two debates. Because we used to have, it was one of my favorite segments in the summer of 2019, if I could get nostalgic, wax nostalgic about the pre-pandemic moment. I we used to, we used to um, bring on all kinds of uh observers, really smart people to talk about the debates and analyze the debates and like who was up and who was down. And, and I remember uh, thinking that she didn't do well in this one particular debate, that she was trying too hard to be a progressive. She, and she didn't start off from a progressive spot. She was like to the right of Hillary Clinton. So it, it's kind of hard to position yourself as a a progressive when you're coming from that. So she was never one of my favorites, but I do think it's really unfair uh, that she uh, would be treated this way. All right, let's move on uh, to the current fight to replace Michael Joseph Madigan as chairman of the um, Democratic Party of the state of Illinois. Two candidates, uh, Congresswoman Robin Kelly, Alderwoman Michelle Harris of the 8th Ward. What are your thoughts about this? If I had told you couple of years ago that Michael J. Madigan, or even six months ago, by the way, some people were still sort of in Stockholm syndrome land that he would never, there's no way he would ever, the world would not continue to spin. There's no way he would ever step down willingly. This is all mania. You're insane. Okay. So it was time. He stepped down. He's moving on. Um, but I just want to take a minute to acknowledge that because it was so hard for so many people to wrap their minds around the concept that there would be a time in which he was not continuing to control the state party and, and the house. Yeah. This is a general moment for people in Chicago and Illinois. Uh, they're dealing with a lot of this wrenching change. I mean, just think about the last 10 years, many Chicagoans could not get their mind around the fact that Daly would no longer be mayor. In fact, as I said to you earlier today, if, he were on the ballot today, he'd still be getting elected mayor. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, many people can't get over the fact that Ed Burke is no longer chair of the finance committee, the most powerful person in the Chicago city council. He's gone as chair of the finance committee. 
He's still a very powerful voice for reform in the Chicago City Council. No. Just that's just a little joke there, Joanna. Uh, and uh, so, who? I mean, just think about the changes that have happened uh, in Illinois. And I will say this about Democrats, my beloved Democratic Party, which I'm usually mad at. They deal with change better than the Republicans have been dealing with change. Donnie Trump gets trounced in the election and the cultists in the Republican Party won't even acknowledge that he lost Joanna. Still, they still, still yeah, there's, and he's their guy, you know? And yeah, and, and they control, they control the Republican Party right now. The man we call AK-16, Adam Kinzinger, uh, is, are is, we giving them cute nicknames? Do we have to? Come on now. Really That's because there was a basketball player, AK-47. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, he's trying to create a career out of doing what sh- every Republican in the country should be doing, distancing themselves from a lunatic. And that, that's how bad. So I give the Democrats credit. Democrats dealt with the loss of Michael Madigan. You, yeah, you're right. It's unthinkable two years ago that this would be. But they dealt with. You don't see Democrats from the southwest side besieging besieging the state capitol, saying stop the steal. You don't see Marty Quinn leading an insurrection at the Chicago City Council. I want a recount. You know they they go boss. It's over. You got to leave. And he leaves. I don't know how is... over. You got to leave. I, <laughs> it doesn't seem like there were a lot of people saying, hey, no to, to the speaker over the years. But he saw, I think, I think to his credit, he saw that the moment had come and, and he did what he needed to do. Um, there were 18 out of 60 who said no to Michael Madigan as Speaker of the House. 18 Dems out of 60. You, I, I'm not good at math. I barely passed algebra at Evanston High School. But I know that's a higher percentage of Democrats who said no to Michael Joseph Madigan than Republicans who said no to Mike uh, to Donald Trump. And- yeah, but, all, but nobody would have believed you. If I had told you six months ago that 19 Democrats voted against the Speaker or were prepared to vote against the Speaker, you would have told me I was insane. I mean, a lot of this was um, unheard of and unimaginable, even for the most progressive figures in the Democratic Party. A uh, point well taken. It wasn't unimagined, but once it happened, it was over. And so now we have the aftermath trying to decide who replaces him as uh, party chair. What is your sense of the pros and cons of Robin Kelly and Michelle Harris? Well, look, this is such an interesting situation. We've got... Much like the mayoral runoff in 2019, we've got a situation where either way, no matter who wins, you're going to have um, a black woman leading the Democratic Party for the first time ever, which is really something. Michelle Harris, who is the alderman of the sort of store, the alderman of the Eighth Ward, chairman of the Rules Committee, the mayor's floor leader, she leads the sort of storied ward organization of the Eighth Ward, which is one of the all powerful, most powerful black ward organizations that still exist. Um, and then, and she has the support of Governor Pritzker as well as Senator Duckworth and some other leaders. And then on the other hand, you have Congresswoman Robin Kelly, supported by Senator Durbin, as well as many other leaders on her part, who's um, really been a, a great progressive congresswoman. 
And so they're fighting it out. Um, many people are, are presenting this as sort of a proxy war between powerful white men who are trying to um, treat these women as marionettes. I have had a hard time with that presentation of the storyline. I think um, they're both they're both bold. Um, they're both tough. I don't think they're going to be pushed around that easily. Um, but yes, they also both have each of them has the backing of a powerful white male statewide elected official, and so naturally people have to tell people have to note that. And I think it's it's a it's a tricky dynamic that we're dealing with here in this situation. I uh, stated this at the start of the show before you came on, and I'd love to get your response to it. And I'm not taking a sa- sides. I'm not signing up for Robin Kelly or, or Michelle Harris. It's it's like, I just don't want to take a side in this one. It's just, neither one of them is... You don't get a vote. This is the I thing. know, I don't have a vote anyway, and it's not one that I love so much more than the other, so I don't want to take a side. I just want to point out something out that I find... I may have mentioned this to you, I've been babbling this all day. Like, why do people think it's a good idea to put us at the chair of the Democratic Party, a Chicago older woman? And I, I, I may have said this to you, that I, you know, nothing against Chicago older women and older men. I love them dearly. I have many of them come on my show all the time. <laughs> but they're not as loved as much by people outside of my show <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm just thinking like, who, what makes you think that having an older woman from Chicago would work well in Carbondale or Clay County yeah. or please well, help me on I that mean, one. A lot of people are asking that question. And I think that, um, so first of all, as a reminder to your listeners, this, the only people who got to vote on this, I think the number is 36, correct me if I'm remembering that wrong. There's 36 people called state central committee men. And those 36 people are the ones who decide this. None of us, unless you've become a state central committee recently, Ben, have a vote in this question. And so the, it, it's really about how does that dynamic, being a alderman, um, who, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but who's very much historically been a part of the establishment. You know, she's not a, she's not a DSA member or anything like that. She's, she's a, a, the chair, she's the floor leader. She's the chair of the Wells Committee. Uh, uh, how does that factor for some of the people in the Colorado counties or downstate? Um, that being said, she's garnered quite a bit of support in those spaces. And I think that her having the backing of the folks who she is supported by, including the governor, has been very helpful to those people in terms of, you know, some of the people who may have had uh, hesitancy over that may have been able to get past it because, well, I know the I don't know her, but I know this person, I know that person supporting her. I don't know. It's a very close race. It's going to come right down to the wire. Um, even now, I don't think, I mean, unless something's broken in the last 46 minutes since I've been sitting here with you, it has been, it's nowhere close to being decided. The vote's tomorrow night. So next time I come on, we can unpack what really happened. Wow. Uh, like, like They're not necessarily people you even have ever heard of in your life. No, that's true. Uh, and I do, and it's also true. I do not uh, get a vote in it, but that has not stopped me. I don't get a vote on a lot of things, Joanna, but that, it doesn't stop. You, have a, you haven't picked one of them or the other, though. That's not like you. Wait, not I, neither one of them is like in my 
universe. You know what I'm saying? So uh, Michelle Harris, I, I could, oh my God, I remember when she uh, was working for John Stroger at the county board. I remember her. She, I remember where she sat at the board meetings and I watched as she uh, was elevated. She got to be uh, the, eventually the older woman of the eighth uh, ward. And, you know, I have really mixed feelings about uh, the eighth ward. If I could use you as my therapist uh, on, on one hand, the, the voter, the alderman of the eighth ward traditionally was on the side of whatever dumb idea I was really opposing uh, that the, the, that the mayor was putting out that I opposed. Uh, but on the other hand, I, I just, I've always had this love for John Stroger, which is really weird. And I, I, he was an old machine guy, but you know, I always viewed it this way, Joanna. This is uh, before you were working uh, strategist in this town. You were in college, et cetera. But Richie Daly was given all this credit by powerful people in Chicago at healing racial wounds left over from Harold Washington, which I always had a hard time with that because it's like blaming Harold Washington. You know, I, I but the way he healed those racial wounds was to make sure that John Strocher got to control patronage at the county level and get, in other words, make sure that black people were cut their, a piece of the pie. And so all these white liberals would be blasting John Strocher for doling out patronage at the county while extolling the virtues of Richie Daly for winning racial peace in Chicago. And I'm like, you can't have it to say, you can't have it both ways, white liberals. You gotta, you know. You, Wait a minute, Ben. Are you saying that white liberals can be hypocritical sometimes? Uh, can be. I would take "can be" out of this, that sentence. Just go are hypocritical. It's <laughs> so I, 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 I don't have that knee jerk. I went on that whole riff, Joanne. I apologize. I don't have that knee jerk reaction against the eighth ward that a lot of people have. Um, that said. I don't know if it's a good idea to put a Chicago alderman in charge of the Democratic Party. I just let me, let me say this about it, because I've been thinking a lot about where do I stand on this issue and do I even care? And like, I have to be honest today, I can't really think of anything in my career, which I've had a lot of adventures in Democratic Party politics over the course of my career. There are I can't really point to anything any moment where who the chair of the Democratic Party of Illinois was had any impact on my life in any meaningful way. That being said, I was very glad to see the speaker step down. I was very glad to see this moment for new leadership, for a woman of color to take the reins. I think it's a powerful statement. I think it's, it. we haven't really had a party in Illinois before. There was no way to like sign up and join or like feel like you're a part of something. It's not like they were cultivating and training young leaders and volunteers. You know, I mean, I think in the, in, in the last couple of years, they've set up some stuff like that to their credit, but it's not, it's not like a, a powerful feeling of being a part of something. And so I think we have a moment now where we can start to, to look towards that. And I'm excited about the possibility, which one of these two women is going to create that space. They, they both, so much of this has been um, so insular and so insidery, and that's because it's a decision to be made by insiders, that there hasn't been a lot of opportunity for them to speak to what are they actually, what's their vision, what are they going to actually do, how are they going to open this thing up so that you don't have to be connected or have a certain last name or work for someone who has a certain last name in order to get plugged in and get active in your community and your party. 
Uh, that is a great point. And that, and I remember uh, my good friend, Lenny put something on uh, Facebook. She's an activist on the North side of Chicago comes on the show uh, from time to time from indivisible. And she, she said, how do I join the democratic party? And the fact that an activist uh, on the North side of Chicago, who's really involved and very committed, uh, would would say, how do I join the Democratic Party? Is it not is it sort of underscoring the point you just made that the Democratic Party, my beloved Democratic Party of Illinois in this case, has been kind of insular un, under Michael Joseph Madigan's reign, uh, much fo- sort of following the model that he set up on the Thirteenth Ward that didn't really work out so well in the long run. And I it think a lot of years for him. It, for him, yes, that's the key point, the for him part of that sentence. Uh, and uh, so I'm hoping that the Dems take the opportunity to sort of rethink the model. You know, no matter who wins this election, and whoever wins this election is not going to be doing the day-to-day. Uh, anyway, you know that. They have day jobs. One is an older woman, the other is a congresswoman. So they have pretty busy day jobs. So let's hope the Democratic Party can take this as an opportunity yeah, let's hope that this uh, fracture that we've seen uh, around this race that, that it doesn't it's not it's it seems to be a fracture about uh, I don't I'm not sure if, if it's like really it's not an ideological fracture. It seems like a thing where everybody can come back together at the end and unite and, and start to build because going into the next cycle, we really can't have a divided Democratic Party leadership in the state. We've we've got very serious challenges ahead coming down the pipe. So. Yeah. And we'll probably hold that off. That's a larger discussion. J.B. Pritzker, is he in trouble in 2022? I've already gone on the record saying he's going to win re-election, <laughs> which is probably the kiss of death for J.B. Pritzker's campaign. But I, I just don't see the de- uh, Republicans coming out of this. All right, we're going to close down with this. I'm going to give you a chance to take a shot at me. Uh, I wrote a column last week that I know you weren't happy with. Uh, I know I've been hearing from a lot of uh, my friends of the Lori Lightfoot uh, persuasion uh (laughs) and there's some out there uh how unfair i was to the mayor i didn't think i was that unfair to her in the column at all uh but it was a column about the budget process uh and ed burke's role uh former chairman of the finance committee all of a sudden ed burke has found uh his inner marty oberman his inner scotty wagsback and has become uh, a reformer uh so uh in closing uh, Joanna, just wail away. Take your, your thoughts on the column and the notion that Ed, Ed Burke is a champion of reform in this Chicago. Oh, no, ben, I, I honestly, I was just concerned. I was worried. You know, <laughs> have you gotten, did you hit your head? Are you okay? Do you need a medical professional? Do you want me to call an ambulance? I, I know that's, have you been kidnapped? <laughs> <laughs> Are you? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I thought maybe they applied your byline to someone else's story or something happened. I don't know what's going on over with the reader these days, but are you okay, Ben? That's my question. Okay? I am okay. Uh, and uh, are you going to the next Ed Burke fundraiser? I heard that a lot of people say that. <laughs> I don't think I'll be going to any Ed Burke fundraiser. Please. Just yes. Uh, all right. I guess that'll. Uh, Okay, that little but, sar- that bit of sarcasm. I'm, I'm just obviously love you, Ben. Just kidding around. But. All right. Very good. That's the great Joanna Klasky, everyone. And um, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been too long. We're going to bring you back probably next month to talk about the decision the Democrats have made. Uh, and also we're keeping an eye on what New York is doing uh, with their great governor in quotes. 
I'm with, uh, let's just switch right now. Let's put uh, Christian Gillibrand in as governor uh, and, and have Andrew Cuomo have a talk show with his brother on CNN and call it a day. All right, Joanna. Thank you, Thank you both guys. Great to be here. All right. That's Joanna Klonsky. What's up D got any updates before we head out that door? Nothing much. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good, but there's something frozen about you right now. Really? How about now? You're still frozen, but I hear you. So it's all good. I'm but dancing. Frozen, I'm but... dancing right now. Can you see me dancing or am I frozen? <laughs> you're frozen. Oh, it's, wow. It's like this image of you looking pensive. And we any updates before we head out that door. Yeah, sure do. Let's do the back half. And, you know, we got all wrapped up in the statewide news in the beginning of our program. We never got to the news in the city of Chicago. <laughs> the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times, Stefano Esposito and Nadir Issa. Monday, March 1st, 2021, at 5.29 p.m. The headline reads, Excitement, Tears, and Masks, as CPS students head back to school for the first time during pandemic. Now, this article does a great job of highlighting the first day back uh, from all sorts of perspectives, the parents, the teachers, and, of course, the mayor and her Chicago public school staff. And, you know, to save us all some time, we're just going to get right to it and only cover the back to school day for our Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Wait, actually, before we do this, let me double check. Make sure Joanna is, in fact, off of the Google meeting. <laughs> let me look here. OK, she's off. Uh, all right. Good, 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 good. All right. Uh, by the way, let me <clears> just <throat> say this. I've been getting so much grief from Lori Lightfoot supporters. Along the lines with Joanna did, Ben, you love Ed Berg, Ben. Anyway, I guess if you if you give it out, you got to take it, D. Go ahead. If you get it out, you got to take it. That's very true. Thank God. Science is back, baby. All right, here we go. Mayor Lori Lightfoot and school's chief Janice Jackson kicked off the day with a visit to Hawthorne Scholastic Academy, a magnet elementary school in Lakeview. North side. They struck a uh, a celebratory tone, happy, a celebratory tone. I can talk. They struck a celebratory tone, happy to have reached a milestone they've long awaited. And yes, now I have quotes. Mayor Lori Lightfoot quotes. You know, let me just triple check real quick to make sure Joanna is not on here. Okay. Okay. She's in fact not on the live stream. Okay, great. Let's do some quotes. Quotes from Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Mayor Lori Lightfoot said about the return to school, quote, This morning, I was lucky enough once again to experience firsthand the infectious excitement of our young people on their first day of class. Driving here this morning, I saw young kids skipping ahead of their parents with excitement about coming back to school. When schools closed a year ago, none of us thought it would be yet another year. We thought and hoped it would be weeks. Then we thought it'd be months. Then we thought surely by the start of the school year, it would be back. But fate had another plan. All right. Uh, she was with Janice Jackson. I, listen, I can't quibble with anything she said. It, it's a great thing when school reopens and kids are excited when they go to school. Even I, D, was excited uh, when I went back to school. But of course, the, after the first day, I was like, I'm going to do this again. Uh, but uh, I don't know. You know, what, what it been a great that if like they had Jesse Sharkey with them, how about that? Oh, Ben, you live in a fantasy world. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been nice? Like, 
or like or you know like, not or... not force it and just kind of let it be natural. We had these snow days going on and everything. I bet I bet we probably all would have come to the same conclusion, right? By about this time. Yeah. What what conclusion would we would have come to? Time to go back I, to school. Yeah, time to go back to school. I, I'm just saying that you know it would have been really nice. You know, hey, have Jesse there. Like show solidarity with the teachers. Whatever. That's Chicago. I started this show by talking about the weird ways we have in Chicago, and we're gonna close it. And talking about the weird people in Chicago love a good political fight. <laughs> so <laughs> hey, how about some oh, quotes? By the way, oh. I gotta give a shout. I got an update. Shout it out. Can we give a shout out to Bill Horberg? Hey Bill. Uh uh Chicago Bill, producer of the Queen's Gamut. Won a Golden Globe, uh, and his mom, his proud mom, Joan, who's a listener to this show. Joan, congratulations to your son. That's excellent. Wait a minute. We had him on the show. So you're saying we have an, uh, a Golden Globe award-winning producer on our show? Yes, we did. Oh, my yeah, God. And, I, and uh, we should probably I – should, I should get it together. Dennis showed me how to rerun. He showed me. He took it step by step. Okay, Ben. He was very patient with me. This is step one, and I wrote it down. So I could do – I could – no one knows. No one knows what you're talking about right now. Uh, you're you very inside. You're very inside baseball right now. Uh, but yeah, we will. The, the fourth and fifth walks. <laughs> yes. So right. anyway, uh, Bill Horberg, uh, who was a guest on the show, he's a bonus guest uh, several months ago. Congratulations! That's really cool. He won a, a Golden Globe, and uh, he deserved it. Queen's Gambit was excellent. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So congratulations, uh, Chicago Bill. Hey, Chicago Bill, congratulations. Go check out our interview with Bill Horberg, the feller that directed uh, Queen's Gambit and got an award for it. Oh, produced, directed. It's all the same to us peons out here. All right, so let's move on here to, uh, hey, I have quotes from Janice Jackson. How about that, huh? Sound good? No, you got a phone call. All right, let's uh, hear some quotes from Janet, uh, Janice Jackson here. Janice Jackson said she felt, quote, a little overwhelmed with joy hearing children laughing and back in schools and hope to recapture the magic in our classrooms. This is the first step on the road toward normalcy. Whatever the new normal will be, we are going into the recovery phase. And this is a very important phase, not just for the city as a whole, but more importantly, for our children and their future. We're not getting to that normalcy unless we do a better job with the vaccines. Just saying. Just saying. I'm really happy the school's back. Kids are happy. Teachers happy. Janice Jackson's happy. Learn Life is happy. Got to get that vaccine, D. We're not going any normal. Oh, hell no. Okay. I, I my, The bowling league started again. I'm not bowling, but my buddies came by last night. We're all hanging around on my front porch at midnight. Talking about basketball, my beloved Bulls, having a great time, wearing our masks, socially distanced. This is not normal. <laughs> so we're not quite there yet. Got to get the vaccines. Heck of a job with the vaccines, America. Come on, we can do a little bit better. All right. And finally, an early lead for Illinois' absolute worst couple of the year. The uber right wing and disturbingly anti-Semitic lovebirds, Chris and Mary Miller. Then they're in love, all right? They're in love. <laughs> they love each other. 
The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Andrew Sullender. Illinois House Democrats introduced a resolution Monday condemning Republican state rep Chris Miller for slapping a decal with the logo of a far-right anti-government militia group on his pickup truck and accusing him of helping incite the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. State Representative Bob Morgan, Democrat of Deerfield, the original sponsor of the resolution, called Miller's actions, quote, garbage and disqualifying for a member of the Illinois House. Miller came under scrutiny last week after his truck was spotted in Washington, D.C. on the day of the rioting. Yeah, I've talked about this. I wrote about this. Mary Miller, the congresswoman from uh, downstate Illinois, uh, was the one who said Hitler was great. Uh, her husband, Chris Miller, was the one who showed up at the uh, the MAGA rally, Trump's MAGA rally on January 6th, right before the rally, right before the um, storming of the Capitol. Uh, yeah, Republican Party has to address this. You know, that that Mary Miller's apology was was absolutely ridiculous, almost as bad as John Cannon's errors. Republicans are not confronting. They're 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 not confronting the full consequences of the the the, the rhetoric that their leaders have been uh, uttering. Instead, they generally go on the counterattack and they make themselves be victims. We were just talking about this with Joanna, their response to accusations of sexual harassment. They are the victims. So when you when they say something that's truly obnoxious and uh, cruel, like Hitler was right, that came out of Mary Miller's mouth, it takes forever for her to apologize, and then she kind of turns herself into the victim. Same thing with Chris Miller. His ex- explanation about the decal and the truck is absolutely ridiculous and absurd. And by the way, where's our good friend Jim Durkin on this one? Come on out, Jim. Come on. Where's Big DB? The front runner, Darren Bailey, State Senator Darren Bailey, who's probably going to be the Republican nominee for governor. Where's he on this one? That is correct. <laughs> the only guy who I can speak out on this stuff is Adam Kinzinger. One, one Republican in the whole state. What a worthless political party, D. I have to say it. Worthless political party. Spent all my time. It's like I, I, I don't even know what to say about him anymore. Mary Miller's apology, you can go read the column I wrote about it, was worthless. Worthless apology uh, regarding her statement that Hitler was right. What was it even in her mind that would get her to utter those words? And then at roughly the same time, a day or two later, her husband was at the MAGA rally. So, I don't know. Republicans got to look themselves, but I don't think they they will do it, D. They're doubling down. Donnie Trump was at CPAC this weekend. He says, I'm coming after you, Lynn, Liz Cheney. I'm coming after you, Adam Kinzinger. I'm coming after you, Mitt Romney. And the crowd cheering. So the people who took a stand against Trump are the ones being treated as pariah, and Trump is being treated as the great champion. Donald Trump say anything about Mary Miller in her comments? No, I don't think so. So the Republican Party is just so worthless right now, D. It's hard to take them serious. And yet, they're 40% of the population. And yet, there's a chance that a Republican could defeat J.B. Pritzker. That's what Joanna was suggesting uh, at the tail end of that conversation. So you have to take them seriously. Because they're so frightening. So yeah, the political lovebirds, Chris uh, and Mary Miller. That's the best the Republicans can do from downstate Illinois. Well, you know, I heard what you said and all that, but they have a picture on uh, at the Chicago Sun-Times right now. Boy, they look cute. They're in love. 
Well, Chris and Mary Miller. Let me look. Hold on. Here we go. One guys, go. Chris has got his MAGA hat on. Sitting yes, there. he does. <laughs> he looks a little like uh, Dennis Quaid. Yeah, looks a little like Dennis Quaid. They got the MAGA hat, uh, the flag flying in the back. It's funny they got, but it's the American flag, not the Trump flag. Remember the right after uh, Trump gave his speech, uh, MAGA stormed the Capitol, took down the American flag, put up a Trump flag. So. At least the Millers are still flying the American flag. Absolutely. And that is your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, March 2nd. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. Check out this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews featuring our two-year anniversary special. That's right. I just randomly call people. Ben had no clue who was going to be on the line. It was a good time. Go check out uh, that episode. Find out who our mystery guests were. You can find us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, Show at gmail.com. Leave your name and where you're from uh, if you'd like us to read your email on the air. Shout out to Steven. Thanks for the email, man. Glad we can read it on today's show. You can call the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's true. We have a phone number, 708-658-4788. The number again, 708-658-4788. We would love to hear from you. And remember, you can become a binhead. That's right. That's what we're calling fans of this show, binheads. For more information on how to become a binhead, go to chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. And it's true. The news is out. Ben Jarofsky's book is available to buy. All right. It's the greatest hits covering, my God, over 40 years of reporting. Chicago Reader. Go check it out. ChicagoReader.com slash Jarofsky to get Ben's book and to become a binhead. All that information, ChicagoReader.com slash Jarofsky. Jay Marie, you missed the whole show. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, there's the next there's another one tomorrow, Jay Marie. Just hit no rewind. Sweat. Hit rewind and you'll be good. Yeah. Uh, or you can listen to the podcast. All right. I want to thank uh, Joanna Klonsky. Outstanding job as she always does. And of course, the man, the myth, and legend. Pride and joy. Baldwin, Illinois. Without whom this show would be possible. And as Joanna Klonsky, Mary Miller, and Chris Miller will tell you. Oh, not back those home guys. <laughs> what a combo that is. Uh, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Science is back, baby. Trampoline parks can cause both minor and severe injuries. Common injuries include broken legs, compound fractures, head trauma, brain injuries, spinal fractures, neck injuries, dislocations, and sprains. That is correct. When parents take their children to an amusement park or jump facility, they expect that the facility has their child safety that is in mind. Correct. They do not expect that facilities with an unsafe design and ineffective safety measures leading to injuries and potentially lifelong disabilities and death are allowed to operate.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.